0: Uh, please grab your Bibles and turn to John 15 <clears throat> we just finished up our series on the life of Jacob and next week we'll be beginning a series uh, we'll be beginning a series on the book of Revelation which will probably take us a while uh, so today we're gonna just do a pit stop in John 15 um, I want us to focus on a simple truth because we're we um, are as we dive into Revelation, it will be good, it will be beneficial for us, but it's also a complicated book and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of hard thinking that we're going to have to do there. And, and before we, uh, we dive into that, I want us to get a little, uh, something simple, something simple but so very essential um, that we need. So look at John 15. The simple truth that I want us to focus on is verse 5. Where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. You read the whole context, John John 1 through 17, so we can understand where this is coming from. So, John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The sermon today will be brief because Jen's going to be sharing a testimony, but I want to hit this truth for us this morning. Um, The truth that Jesus gives comes in the form of a picture I want us to understand the picture first so, and then get the meaning from it. Um, the picture here begins with a vine. There's a vine, right? Um, probably, is anybody here, a, you know, a, do you have grapes in your backyard? Do you have, do you have vines? And that's not really a big thing in this area. It would have been big in, in the area where Jesus was to talk. It's everybody knew what vines were. We all know conceptually what vines are, right? They're the main part of the plant. You've got the grapevine. Uh, The vine is the part that's connected to the root system. It's the part where the nourishment comes from. It supports the whole rest of the plant. Um, Trees are more familiar to us, right? So it's the trunk. It's the trunk. It's the main part of the plant. It's the part that's in the ground, that's rooted, that provides nourishment and strength for the rest of the plant. So there's a vine. The other part of the picture is that there's also branches. Branches are really important because branches are the things that bear the fruit, And that's why you have the vines in the first place, because you want the fruit. Uh, So the branches, when they're connected to the vine, grow and produce fruit. When everything's working properly, the nourishment comes from the vine to the branches and produces fruit. But what happens when branches are broken off? When a branch isn't connected with the vine, does it bear fruit anymore? No. You just had an ice storm, knocked off a bunch of branches off of trees, right? We picked up all those branches, and and we didn't wait for them to bear fruit again. (laughs) We got rid of them because that's useless. All all branches are good for when they're not on a tree is for burning in fires. There's a vine, there's branches. When the branches are not connected to the vine, they don't produce fruit. So it's the third part of the picture, that branches produce fruit only when connected to the vine. See, the thing with vines is that by themselves, they will produce more branches and produce more fruit, but branches by themselves produce nothing. It's not a hard picture. It's not a hard concept. Um, When someone was explaining this passage to me years ago, back in college, um, the leader used some hand motions that I thought were ridiculous but have stuck with me for all these years, so now I'm going to condemn you to the fate of every time you read this passage, you think about these hand motions. He says, Jesus is the vine.
1: Okay.
0: We're the branches. If anyone, what does he say in verse 5? I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing.
2: Okay.
0: Pretty simple. Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. Apart from Jesus, nothing. Connected to Jesus, we can bear much That's a picture. What's it mean? What it means is that you will become more like Jesus if and only if you stay connected to Jesus. You'll become more like Jesus if and only if you stay connected to Jesus. I love this picture. It's really, really great because Jesus, it's like he gives us the cheat sheet. He tells us, okay, what's the vine? I'm the vine. We're the branches. You're the branches. Okay, we we know that. Jesus says that he's the vine and we're the branches. So that part of the picture is easy to unpack. It's easy to identify. The only questions we have to answer are, what does it mean to bear fruit? And what does it mean to abide? Well, the bear fruit one's not that difficult either. To bear fruit means to become more like Jesus. And there's other passages in in the Bible you could turn to that talk about fruit and explain that, but it's even right there in the passage, it's in the picture. Because when you think about plants, fruit bearing plants, um, the plant and the fruit correspond to one another. So, So, what kind of fruit does an apple tree produce? Apples, all right. What kind of fruit does an orange tree produce? What kind of fruit does a raspberry bush produce? Good? We're good. I think there's a children's book in the making here. We could totally do this. All right. So what kind of fruit does a Jesus vine produce? Jesuses, right? You could even call them Christians, little Christs. If you're connected to Jesus, if you're connected to that vine, that vine produces the fruit of Christ-likeness of being like Jesus. And so when you abide in Christ, the fruit that you bear is that you become like Jesus. There's other passages in Scripture that lay out some of this stuff, uh, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, things like these. That's what it means to be like Jesus, that as we abide in the vine, he produces that kind of fruit in you. So if you want to abide in him, if you want to bear that fruit, you need to abide. He's the vine or the branches. Apart from we can do nothing but connected to him, we bear that fruit. So the final question is how do we abide? How do we stay connected to Jesus? If that's the key, if he's the vine, we're the branches, and if we connect to him, we bear fruit, well, how do we do that? How do we stay connected? How do we abide in Christ? And this, too, is answered in our passage. There's three main practices that Jesus highlights in this passage. They're not groundbreaking. They're not surprising. This is not some mystery that you've never heard before. But here's what you do if you want to abide in Christ and bear fruit. The first thing would be regular Bible intake. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. To abide in Christ, and if Christ abides in you, means that his word abides in you. That the word of Christ, the scriptures, the Bible is in you. If you're going to stay connected to Jesus, if you're going to be connected to Jesus, One of the important ways you do that is by letting the word of God dwell in you richly. The Bible. Verse 7 also highlights another practice. It's prayer. Verse 7, he says, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So if you have a relationship with Jesus, a, a relationship... You're hearing from him, from his word. You're speaking with him through prayer. If you want to abide in Christ and be connected to Christ, you need to be reading the Bible. You need to get in the Bible in your life, and you need to be praying. Jesus says, ask, ask. If you want to abide. The third practice shows up in verse 10, where Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So the third practice would be obedience. If you want to abide in Christ, if you want to stay connected to him, fully plugged into his love, Jesus says, keep my commandments. Now, it's not to say that you have to be perfect. It's not to say that God will reject you if you don't obey him perfectly. That's counter to the gospel, the whole main message of scripture. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for you, and rose from the dead, that your sins would be forgiven and you would be accepted by God on the basis of Jesus' life lived for you. That's the gospel. But having said that at the same time, you need to recognize that if you want to have an ongoing relationship with someone, with anyone, if you want to have a close, intimate relationship, you need to change the way you live. That's a purely hypothetical. It's the best example I could think of. If my wife were extremely allergic to cigarette smoke, and I smoked like a chimney, and I wanted a close personal relationship with my wife, if I wanted to stay connected with her, then I would need to give up smoking. Right? Because in that scenario, a lifestyle of smoking be incompatible with an ongoing relationship with her. In the same way, a lifestyle of disobedience is incompatible with a relationship with Jesus. It just doesn't go together. And none of us are perfect. We all still sin. But the question is, what do you do with your sin? Do you love your sin? Do you not see a problem with it? Do you coddle it? Do you justify it? Do you excuse it? Or do you admit it? Confess it? Repent of it? And seek grace from Jesus to change? If you want to abide in Christ, remain in Him, if you want a close, personal relationship with Jesus, you can't be walking in open and blatant disobedience to Jesus. To stay connected. You need to keep his commands. So it comes down to this. Um, We want to be like Jesus. That's why we're here. That's what it means to be a Christian. We want to be like Jesus. We want more love and joy and peace and patience in our lives. How do we get it? Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. Apart from him, you can do nothing. But if you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. If you let the word of God abide in you, if you maintain a relationship with God through prayer, and if you seek to walk in obedience to his commands, you will bear fruit. There's nothing new there. None of that should be surprising. I know personally I've said that a thousand times. But we still struggle. So how do we do it? One of the roles of the church is to help us to build structures into our lives to do those things that we might abide in Christ. You can think of the church like the trellis that the vine is growing on. We're here to support one another, to create environments and structures and practices to help us keep the word of God in our lives, to pray together, to keep in obedience to Jesus. Now, if when you look in your bulletin, you see this green um, insert. This green insert talks about something that we're calling life transformation groups. We call them that because we think that they are groups that will transform your life. Uh, We're going to talk about these groups quite a bit over the coming month. In a nutshell, you can read through this thing on your own. There's a display in the back too. We're going to be talking about this, explaining it, having people share testimonies. But in a nutshell, the Life Transformation Group is is a group that is designed specifically to help us do these three things. To keep the word of God in our lives to pray, and to walk in obedience to Jesus. There are groups of two or four people of the same gender who meet together regularly, commit to read a lot of Scripture together, to pray for one another and for the lost, and to ask each other pointed questions about what's going on in their life so that we help one another to confess sin and walk with Jesus. And it's my desire and the desires of the leaders of this church that every single one of us would be in a life transformation group. Because we want to abide in Christ, and we want him to bear his fruit in our lives. So the rest of this month, we're going to be talking about life transformation groups. We're going to be inviting people up here to share testimonies about abiding in Christ. We're going to have more inserts. We're going to have more posters. You're going to hear a lot about them. Uh, But to start it off today, I want to invite Jen to come up, my wife, um, to share a story about her own journey of being connected to Jesus and how she's born how he's born fruit in her life as a result so we're going to do a hot mic swap here
1: Now I'm bionic. This is awesome. Can I have this for at home? Because I, I think that could really help my parenting skills. All right, so this is a once-in-I'm-not-sure-how-long-time opportunity to get the dirt on your pastor's wife, which I don't know if that's something you've been wanting, but here it is. Um How has Christ and closeness to him affected my life? Before I get into that, I need to give a short intro um, about what is probably my most difficult spiritual challenge, and that is um, a disorder called bipolar disorder. And what that is, is that is a mental disorder based in biology that has two extremes. One is what they call mania, The other is what they call depression. And it used to be called manic depression, so that might ring some bells for some people. In mania, there are these feelings of elation, of powerfulness, of this sense of invincibility. And that leads you to do a lot of dumb things. Um, It's not uncommon for people with bipolar to end up in jail or huge amounts of debt. On the other side of that is depression. And I think most of us have had an experience with depression. Um with bipolar, it tends to go worse and leads to feelings of just self-hatred and self-loathing and even suicidal thoughts. Um, So I was diagnosed with that late. I was about 32 when I was diagnosed with that after experiencing symptoms of that since probably 11 or 12 years old. So that has been a major factor in my spiritual health. And even my story of salvation was largely driven by bipolar because I was exhausted. I was 17 years old. I had been acutely sick for probably about three years, bouncing back and forth between mania, which led me to lots of self-harming activity, um, activity that I could have gotten so harmed in, just stupid things that were sinful. And I knew they were wrong. And so that would drive me back to depression, knowing that Who I was was ugly, all this feeling of shame about what I had done. And so I would cycle back and forth, and it was exhausting. If you can imagine your emotions being on hyperdrive all the time, that's just, that's exhausting. And so March 1st, 1998, I was a junior in high school, 17 years old, and supernaturally, the gospel just clicked and I honestly can't explain it better than that. I'd had a close friend who'd been, who was a Christian, and I'd been experiencing um, just what it was like to be a Christian through her. I was going to church. I was literally sitting in church when this happened. I don't <clears throat> remember what the pastor was saying, but it clicked. And deep in my heart, I felt Jesus' call from Matthew 11:28 It says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And it was like that was made for me because I was exhausted. And so knowing he was promising rest, it was a deal I couldn't pass up. <clears throat> and so alone by myself in my room, completely unguided, I prayed to receive Christ. And two things haunted me. Um, the first being, could I even be accepted? The second being, was I doing this right? Right. Because I really wasn't sure. But turns out both were okay. I did it right. I was accepted. So, whew, passed that test. Um, but it was like spiritual whiplash. Because I was going one direction, so headstrong. And when I encountered Christ, it was an entire U-turn. And I think it's safe to say that I experienced whiplash, and some people around me experienced whiplash with that. Um, And the great news is that God granted me a reprieve from that bipolar for, I would say, about seven years. And what that did was that allowed me to abide in Christ. That gave me the space to grow in him, for my branch to strengthen, for nutrients to flow in and out easily. Um, Ezekiel 11 talks about God taking out our heart of stone. And replacing it with a heart of flesh. And that we would be God's people and God would be our God. And that's that's how I felt. And so I jumped in both feet. And I seemed to have an unending appetite for Jesus. Um, I was praying. I was worshiping. I was reading the Bible. Um, I was participating in evangelism, scripture memory. Um, I was focused on obedience. I was leading Bible studies in small groups both in high school and in college. And it was fabulous. And it was, um, the best way I can describe it is that God was really sowing seeds. He was cultivating things that would pay out later. Um, For example, in our time with the Navigators in college, uh, an elderly woman came and shared with us. She was at Pearl Harbor the day it was bombed. And uh, her husband was an officer. And as he left their home, to run into war, they looked at each other, and they said, from memory, Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal God is thy resting place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And I didn't need that as a senior in college, because really life was pretty simple. But that was one of those things that God planted in my heart. So Dan and I graduated from Iowa State, and we moved over to Chicago to take, Dan took a job there. And we started having our family right away. And Kit was born, and then Tally was born. And when Tally was about nine months old, we moved down to St. Louis so Dan could go to seminary. And those of you who have been parents know that lots of things go to the back burner when you become a parent. It's a, it's a great fact of life that these new little people need you, demand you, and you have to give up things for them. And so I wasn't connected as closely with Jesus. I wasn't having all the time that I had before. I was still bearing fruit. I was still I was still connected. And yes, I learned that too. And so yes, I see that every time I read John 15. Um, but it just, it was like the branch was drying up just a little bit and the nutrients weren't flowing quite as quickly or as often. Um, but when we moved to seminary. It was like an infusion of steroids into my branch. We were, I was taking classes with Dan this first semester. I was taking classes with Dan. We were hearing all these great um, pastor professors talk about the gospel, talk about grace. We were living on campus with other families um, where people were getting degrees in theology. It was like every time you turned around, you were talking about the goodness of God and and how we should be living that out and just spurring leather on towards love and good deeds. And it was wonderful until we started seeing things that didn't feel quite right. And it started with uh, my feeling just severe anxiety in social situations. Issues that wouldn't be hard at all suddenly became insurmountable. Um... I started feeling feelings of anger and just suddenly flaring up out of nowhere for no good reason, just angry. And then depression started to set in. And by the time I was two months pregnant with Ange, um, it had gotten really bad. And um, I was depressed, about as depressed as you could be. Um, The second semester, I showed signs of mania. I was incredibly angry. Um, I was really energized. I wasn't sleeping well. Um, Third trimester, we went back to depression. And I stayed in this cycle of mania and depression for the entire um, remainder of seminary. Um. (coughs) And spiritually, I was actually doing all right because sometimes when God puts the pressure on you actually do better, and um, I still believed really, really deeply that God loved me, in spite of how much I didn't like myself, in spite of how hard it was to go to Bible study and church. Um, but we were at the seminary where the gospel was being preached, grace was being explained, and it was uh, it was infusion. So again, a little bit of drying up, just because you know when you're being when you're under pressure, you do. Things get weaker, um, but oftentimes the worst of the depression led me closer to God rather than farther away. And that verse of Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven—that's when that bore fruit. That the Eternal God is thy resting place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Um, that was important. Um, Psalm twenty-eight. It's about a broken person crying out, not just for help, but reaffirming in his heart that God hears and is good. All these things were like infusions for me. And Dan played a huge key role in this time, too. Um, Dan has said more than once that he's never prayed as much as when I was acutely sick then, Um, that he didn't really have a prayer life until that started. And there were times where I had to rely on Dan's faith, to support mine. You know, when a branch is partially broken, you can fix it. It's hard, but you can do it. You can wrap it up tight and keep it close. And that's what Dan's faith was like for me. Um, When I was so anxious and so distressed, there were times I couldn't, I used the phrase, remember the gospel. Of course I could remember the gospel, but somewhere deep in my heart, I lost how to apply it how to feel it when I needed it. And I would tell Dan, I'd say, tell me the gospel. Just tell me the gospel. And he would he would say, he was so patient because he heard this a lot, tell me the gospel, I can't remember. And he would reaffirm it in me. And there was one night in particular I remember, you can get so depressed that you basically get comatose. It's, it's a clinical problem, um, they see it. I mean, I was really close to that one night and really despairing and with what felt like the last of my energy, I handed my Bible to Dan. I said, Psalm 27, or Psalm 28. And he opened it, and he read it. And I said, read it again. And he read it. I said, read it again. And we did this, honestly, probably a dozen times. And every time Dan read it, I heard in his voice the faith he had in that psalm. And it was like he was believing it for both of us, that his belief was strong enough that it was carrying my belief. So we made it through seminary. We did it. We, uh, we were able to manage it. It was ugly, and those on the outside um, who should have been on the inside saw it, were worried, but we managed. So we move here. Ange was 18 months old. Tally was about 3 Kit was about five, and uh, we moved here, and um, things, the bottom dropped out. Not sure why, circumstances, the bottom dropped out, and I cycled back and forth so fast that my head was spinning, Dan's head was spinning, and all we knew was that it was out of our ability to handle it. And I just looked at my mom. (laughs) But, uh, so finally, in November of 2012, I was 32, and we went to a counselor. And we described the things that we had been experiencing, um, things that we'd, I'd experienced since I was 11. And uh, she said, I think you've got bipolar. And so we did the psychological diagnostic tests, and turns out that, yep, pretty obvious, pretty clear, that's what it is. And um, started the process of finding medicines to help. But you would think that a diagnosis would make things better. That you'd think to yourself, "Ah, I'm not just a jerk. Right? Like, I have a medical card for this. I have a doctor's note to be a jerk. Um, But it didn't. Um, If anything, it made it worse. And, And this is the hardest time of my life. This is the hardest time of my life during this period. It was about four months long. And I felt like I was completely a broken person because there was something wrong deep inside of me that wasn't going to get better just because I wanted it to. It was deep inside, and that was distressing. So the self-loathing came in about 100 times more than it ever had. And then there was the feeling that God didn't show up. That God didn't show up when I needed him to. And having been connected to him, that was a frightening place to be. So, feeling disconnected, feeling like my branch was breaking, um, I just gave over to self-pitying. And I stopped reading my Bible altogether. I stopped praying. Um, Going to church was like poking myself in the eyeball with knitting needles. It was just terrible. I could barely hear the gospel being shared. Um, And what happens is disobedience breeds disobedience. Once you start down a path of ignoring God, it gets harder and harder to turn around. It's just inevitable. It's like when you stop calling a friend and a couple months go by and you just think to yourself, this would be so embarrassing. This conversation is going to be so hard. It just gets worse. It just breeds more. Um, And I came to what in my mind was kind of a truce with God and I'm sure God was like, this is ridiculous, Jen. But the truce was this. I will fake it for those around me. I still believed in the goodness of God. I was just convinced that it wasn't for me, that I was the exception. And so I agreed that I would keep doing these things because I wanted my children to know these things. I could not abandon God because I couldn't abandon my kids. So, severe damage done to the branch, hanging on by a thread, and Dan uh, starts to pray again. And he's got on his, um, on his cell phone and his iPad, he's got a prayer journal. And he didn't tell me about this until probably, I don't know, a year after the fact. Maybe in 2014. But here's some of the things he started praying for me. He prayed that I would surrender to God. And then he recorded things. There were evidences of that happening. So, for example, in March of 2013, when I was in the midst of all this ugliness, I met up um, with the first pastor I had after becoming a Christian. He was my youth group leader, great guy. I had a great conversation with him. So just a touchstone, just a a little bit there. Later in that month, I actually prayed at bedtime with him. We pray every night before we fall asleep. And it had been months since I'd talked to God, since I'd said anything to him. But I prayed that night. And Dan recorded that. Um, April of 2013, I said to God, I said to Dan, I want to meet with Todd, our pastor from from St. Louis, who I trusted deeply. Uh, that was huge. Um, July, same year, uh, we sat down and we talked through Psalm 13, and Psalm 13 is one of those psalms. Where you're like, should this really be in the Bible? I'm not so sure that this is what we should be thinking. Because here here's how it goes. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? That's the beginning of it. The end of it is, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's in the same psalm. Beginning, you are railing at God. Why didn't you show up? That's basically what he's asking. Why didn't you show up? And at the end of the psalm, the psalmist is saying, you did, you always have. So that was another moment where I was coming back to God. And this goes back to starting to abide again in him, re-strengthening that branch. He started praying for strength to change, and he prayed um, He prayed Romans 5, 3 through 4, which is the one that talks about perseverance and character and all these things building on each other. Again, he started writing things down. March 2013, I began talking about a new way to change, planning, not just surviving these crises. We found medicines that worked. Um, I started meeting with a counselor. I started depending on other people, like our parents. Um, In May of that year, I started attending a class that helped me deal with the symptoms of bipolar. These are all things that that gave me strength to change. Finally, Dan recorded that he was praying that I would read the Bible and pray in pursuit of God. And he added that in October of 2013, so just about a year after I was diagnosed. <clears throat> and he reports that August 24th that year saw me reading my Bible. January 2014. Asked me to pick pat I asked him to pick passages to read. Um September 2014, we were just talking about these LTGs, we were just starting, and I asked him to pray with me, to pick someone to do this LTG with me, and I started in on the LTG and reading uh, five chapters of scripture a day. Um, March 2015, just last year, I asked him if we could pray more as a couple, and I um, Now, today, I am healthier than I've ever been, not from a bipolar standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint. And a lot of it has to do with the LTG. And I had had periods of growth, but I'd never been able to sustain prayer and Bible reading very well. Um, But what the LTG offers, it offers accountability for those things. And I know programs sound really dry and off putting, but to have someone to hold you accountable to do these things that give you life, that connect you to the vine that you can grow, that is the most important thing that can be offered to you. Um, My rejuvenation spiritually did not happen overnight. 2012 I was diagnosed, and before that it had been really ugly and rough. Um, Things started moving in 2013, and then 2014, and then 2015, but the pace really, really picked up when I started with those LTG meetings. Really picked up. And um, what's interesting, I meet with Angela, what's interesting is that we hit it hard for the first nine months or so, six months or so, and then summer happened, and all of a sudden, I got kids again, and Angela started working pretty much full-time, and we just we stopped doing it, and then we had our foster kids and my broken foot, so we didn't, I don't know what my broken foot had to do with spirituality, but anyway, we, we kind of, we were holding off, we were still checking in on each other, but my Bible reading dropped, my prayer dropped, um, and then we started meeting again at the end of December, and it was like, Whoa! That's why we were doing this. And right now, life is amazing. And that doesn't mean we don't have problems. God does not promise to take care of problems. But He does promise that if we abide in Him, He will take care of us. So, LTGs, it may sound different and scary as you read about it, but it is the best way for you personally to grow in the Word. You can come and listen to sermons and obviously I'm the pastor's wife, so I'm a big fan of that. But there also needs to be a component of you investing in yourself and another person coming alongside you is a tremendous help.
0: Um, So In case you're confused, when she was saying LTG, that stands for Life Transformation Group. Okay, so that's it's just too much to say. So LTG. Um, So one of the things that um, that Jen's doing now is that we've the leadership of the church has asked her, since she's had such profound experience with the Life Transformation Groups, if she would take point in helping to implement it and roll it out um, for us as a church. So she's going to be the LTG team leader. LTG, LT, LT, Yes, there we TL, go. TL, LTG, the Czar, whatever. Um, dictator for life. Um, but uh, in keeping with our our more recent practice of trying to um, to listen to Scripture in commissioning people for ministry, uh, we want to pray for Jen, uh, lay hands on her, and pray for her um, that she would be strengthened by God to do this because it's a big task um, and it's an important task. So we want to pray for that. So I invite the elders to come up. Now, um those of you who are here. I haven't seen Brian. Is Brian here? He's not here? He always skips yeah. laying out of hands. What's this <laughs> no. do like Yeah, he doesn't like germs. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right. So let's um, let's pray for Jen. I'll start and Steve, could you go ahead and just pray too for her? That's not just me praying for my wife. Um, Father, thank you. Um, I can testify firsthand to the veracity and the um yeah, just all of, the, of what Jen shared that it's it's been an amazing journey, and you have been gracious, and I pray that you continue to be gracious and blessing her now. She's commissioned for this role in ministry that's important, um, helping people to get connected to you in the vine, so we pray that you would strengthen her, equip her, um, and that you'd even now be working in our congregation that many of us would desire this sort of fellowship and accountability and growth that comes from you. Thank you, Father.
2: Father, I'm so grateful for just knowing Jen and for uh, being her friend and I just pray, Lord, um, that in this role uh, that she would be able to seek out people and people would seek her out, uh, that she would be warm and comforting to them, uh, that she would be able to pair people up who are a natural fit, Uh, give her just a a spirit of knowledge in that area. Um, I pray for wisdom and how to handle this. Uh, I ask that uh, you just continue to grow um, in her, the the knowledge of your word, uh, peace, peace of mind and spirit and body, and I just ask that you would... uh, and be with her every step of the way as uh, she continues to to work to, um, to have this this ministry flourish and uh, let it be um, a part of our lives that uh, we can we can turn to and say yes I saw growth in my life because of this and, um, and, and let it be that and I just thank you again uh, for her stepping up to do this and I pray
3: um, I pray for that commission to be uh, to be a good one Heavenly Father just. Uh Thank you uh, for your word, for what it means to us, that it, uh, abiding in us, can do uh, great things and uh, just use this whole program, for lack of a better word, uh, Lord, to um, nourish us with your word, that it would dwell richly within us, uh, that it would cause us uh, to uh, be studying it a whole lot more than what we, probably most of us do, and I know me, I, I certainly need more of it. And thank you for Jen and doing this. Um, Thank you for the way you've worked in her life. Lord, help us as a board to oversee all this, Lord, and keep structures and and things as you would have us to do by your word. Everything be according to your word, Lord, and and pleasing to you. That would be the most. Uh, Everything we do would be uh, by uh, your satisfaction, Lord, and obedience to you. Help us to grow and bear fruit. Many lost out there many are down just like jen's told her story today and and many are discouraged Um, lord your word is more powerful than anything (laughs) sharper than two-edged sword and and it's powerful it can do so much and pray that you would use this whole thing and use jen and us in your word to to accomplish just all these things to encourage each other And you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.